For the last several weeks, we've been, again, talking about looking forward to 2020, what our vision is, and, and we went through what this idea of growing together in grace and truth, that this is kind of be some hallmarks of what we're trying to do. The last couple of weeks, we've been kind of talking about the obstacles we will face in, in moving towards our future and, and talking about, you know, this idea of growing and, and how that brings about change. And, you know, and really we're faced with this decision, which kind of change we're going to embrace, whether it is whether it's growth or decay and, and how we're going to move forward into that, into our future, serving the Lord and continue to serve the Lord. So we talked about the change last week. We talked about the things that we will not change, that being God and the gospel, that these are two sure things that we're going to hold on to, that those will remain the same. That's kind of the water in our illustration that 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 God and the gospel, the good news of of Jesus Christ, those things we will not compromise and we cannot change because they're unchangeable. But then we talked about those things that we must change, those things that we're willing to change or and sometimes have to face. And that was our method. And that's all the cups. I did find a picture from back in the day. I used to drink out of this cup. How many of you remember those cups from from Ronald McDonald? They they also had a uh, a uh, Bugs Bunny, a Looney Tunes set that that we collected. And then in the early 1970s, they started coming out with the Star Wars ones, which one I was particularly fond of. Most of y'all, some of you who are younger than I, don't even know who those people. That's Grimace. Mr. Uh, uh, Captain Crook, Ronald, of course, Big Mac is the police and the Hamburglar who was always still in the hamburgers. And you don't even know who those characters are anymore. They've changed. But and so we talked about the cups, you know, and, and, and really it, sometimes we focus more on the cup than the water. And we're more concerned about the methodology or, or, or our preferences. You know, I like this kind of cup over that kind of cup. And this is the best way to. And so we got to have to let the cups go sometimes and be willing to use whatever cup it takes to get the water, because that's what matters to a thirsty person. That's what matters, you know, the gospel. And so when it comes to our methodology, when it comes to the changing times as time has changed, we have to be willing to let go of some of those those methods, even if it's, you know, a good one, even if it's nostalgic, like the, you know, these are ones that I remember from my childhood. And this was like my favorite cup when I was a kid. And, and I and I just don't want to let it go. And so we have to be willing to let some of those things go. I think this idea of changing methodology is found within the scriptures. If you'll turn to first Corinthians chapter nine. I think Paul had a, a good grip on this kind of idea that that, you know, it's it's about the gospel. It's about God and the gospel and, and, and how I get it into people matters a whole lot less than what I get into people. In first Corinthians chapter nine, verses 19 through 23, this is what he says. He says, for though I'm a free from all men, I have made my slave. I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews to those under the law as as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that it might so that I might win those under the law to those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God from but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law to the weak. I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I by some, by all means save some. I do all these things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. 
So I want to talk a few, a, a few just kind of Bible lessons from this idea and how Paul looks at this kind of idea of, of changing his methodology. He's like, to the Jews, I'm going to be a Jew. To those without the law, to the Gentiles, I'll be a Gentile. To the weak, I'll be a weak. I, I don't care. It's not my preference. I don't care about me. I care about them. And, and I'm just going to work whatever I have to do so that I may see some saved. And so the first thing we got to realize and have is really a missional mindset. His focus wasn't so much about church as it was uh, uh, reaching the lost. He wasn't. He's, he was more concerned about missions than, than anything else. He had this missional mindset that he wanted to reach the lost. Think back, because I heard some of you react when Vicky read those numbers. Over a hundred and fifty thousand people die every day without Christ. And if what you and I hold about eternal about eternity is true, you know where that means. We we don't go and say we just we kind of stop at they die, and then they receive a reward as someone separated from God. That is, they will spend eternity in hell. This is what we believe. This is what we hold to. And that's a harsh reality. And how do we feel about that? A city the size of Kansas City disappearing off the face of the planet each and every day without Christ. Do we have a missional mindset? Are, Are we concerned about that? What if it's just five in Clarion every day? What if it was just five in Clarion every week? Would we be brokenhearted after those five people who die in this community in which we live every day or every week? Paul was consumed by this missional mindset. He has a sincere desire to see people saved. And so it's more about the water than it is about the vessels. And we got to have that missional mindset. I wasn't planning on doing this today, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, I got a few extra minutes here. So I want you to covet in prayer for me. One of the things I believe is I believe the Lord lays on our hearts and lays on my heart things he wants me to think about. He He impresses things upon me that I, I think he's kind of trying to d- d- direct me and guide me for my sake and for our sake as I'm the pastor of this church. But I don't want it just to be me. I want it to be us. I, I look to you and to the elders and to the deacons and to you as the congregation for confirmation of those things. So I'm going to ask you to start praying for something for with me, for me. I'm seeking God's direction in a particular area, and I would really like for you to pray about it. We have an IMB missionary since we introduced the, the International Mission Board today. The, the state convention, our state convention of uh, Pennsylvania, South Jersey, uh, has made a partnership with one of our IMB missionaries in Bogota, Colombia. Um, the executive director is taking pastors on a vision tour in m- mid-March to go down for churches who are willing to, within the year after that or within the next year, to send a team to Bogota, Colombia. This is something I feel particularly drawn to. Bogota, Colombia has 10 million people in the city, 9 million without Christ, and 12 Baptist churches in that city. And so we've partnered with one of the, these missionaries and, and I'm just wondering if, if this is something we want to do that we want to put boots on the ground. Bogota, six hour flight, uh, for us to get to. So it's, it's doable in a week and come back and go to that, that city and partner with one of our, so if you say, start to feel like God says, 
I'd like for you to go. You can let me know. I'll take that as confirmation that if you got to go, then I probably should lead you. Uh, and Or you just say, I think God wants you to go and do the vision tour. This is something we can get behind. I would cover you spending the next month or so praying about that. And let's see if the Lord guides us collectively together on that. That we will have a missional mindset. That we will reach, you know, from from our hometown to the uttermost parts of the world. Another thing, though, but once you get this missional mindset, once you start to care about people, the next challenge to that is is this kind of uh, hang on understanding of others. Here's what Paul said. He says to the Jews, I will be Jews to those out from under the law. I'll be out from under the law to the weak. And what he's saying is he understands people. It's one thing to care about people. It's one thing to say, I want to reach people. But then we got to take the time to invest in understanding the people we want to reach. We got to understand what's important to them, what values they have, what's their point of view. We have to spend a lot of time thinking about them. What matters? How am I going to engage that person? What do they care about? How can I adjust my life to show them that I think highly of them? Think about their point of view, their value systems. Where do they have a point in how they look at the world? And, and, you know, we start to think about people. We often are like, well, this is what they think. And this is why they're wrong. And what we need to start doing is be invested in enough people to say, this is what they think. And here's where they got a point. So that we can learn to appreciate them and care about them where they're at. Now, the, the, the goal is to meet them where they're at and let God move them from there. But we got to meet them where they're at. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, to the Jews... I live like a Jew to those without the law. I was with them. I was with everybody. I was with the weak. I understood them and I met them where they were so that I might save some. And so if we're going to be missional minded, we must uh, and, and grow in this. We must have this deep understanding of others. Another point in this idea is then he gave. Preference was deferred to the others. If we're really honest and we look at church, we'll be honest and realize that most of what we do in church is about preference. You know, this is the way I like this. This is the songs I like. This is the order I like. This is, you know, this is the lighting I like. This is the temperature I like for some of you who like it a little warmer than I do. Right. You know, there's so much. It's all about preference and it's about my preference and it's about making me happy when I come into this place. And Paul is like. He didn't seem to be really cared about that. What matters to you? What matters to the other? He, he was he was giving he was deferring preference to them. You you want to talk about you? You want to be under the law? It, it's about you. Let me understand you and give it and give our preferences up. I'm going to be honest with you. I have some great conversations with Randy. Y'all should come in every week and argue with him for about an hour. But it really challenges me. And and and, and in all honesty. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but we sing some songs I don't like. And then I got to thinking, I'm sitting there singing this song, thinking about how much I dislike it. What if I just said, I don't care about my preference and I poured my heart and soul into singing it no matter what it was. 
And I, and, I, and I just said, this is about God. And it's not about Jason liking it. It's about making it so that God likes it. And I'm going to sing it as loud and as proud and as best. And I'm going to put my hearts and my emotion. And I'm going to mean it. And I'm going to think about the words. And I'm going to sing it like a prayer. Whether Jason likes it or not. Because does that matter? It shouldn't. It should be about our, our preference should be over to God, really. But when we're serving others, we care about them. And we meet them where they're at. So that we can get the water in them. Instead of saying, here, take it out of this. Which means we face a great dilemma. And this is what Paul said. He was willing to change for others. Are we willing to change for others? Here's what he said. Think about this is Paul, the great evangelist, the great missionary. He said, I became... I became. It's all about how he kept changing so that he can meet the people. He's like, I'll be whatever I got to be so that I can save some. It's not about me. It's not. He could claim. He he said, you know, if you want to talk about a Pharisee, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I know the law. I know the Bible. I'm an evangelist. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. You want to talk about who I am? In one place, he's like, you know, you should mimic me. If you have the same faith I have, you'll be doing okay. And this kind of specially picked out person says, I'm the one who's going to change so that I can meet people. And too often, so we've got to make it, I became over you become. Because we can't go to the world saying, now what you need to do is become like this. We need to change to meet them and then let God make whatever he wants to out of them. And not us determining you become. Well, that's a whole lot about others. And that's not a whole lot about us. And I'm going to throw this thing in a minute. So what's in it for me? I mean, if I'm going to change for them and I'm going to think about them, I'm going to give up all my preferences for them and I'm going to be thinking about them and caring about them. What's in it for me? Right? Well, look at that last verse. Verse 23. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. When we focus on others, when we share the gospel with them, when we make it all about them, we get to start to see how God made it all about us. We get to understand the mindset of Jesus who didn't who considered the shame and bore the cross gladly for us. As we share the gospel, as we tell other people about God's love, we experience ourselves. That's what Paul gets out of it. He's like, why do I give up all this? Because I'm like Jesus and I understand the gospel better as I share it with others. I experience the gospel afresh and anew. Every time I tell someone else the gospel, I get to experience it again. Do you love the gospel? Do you get enough of the gospel? Do you want more of the gospel? Then share it with others and you get to partake in it all afresh. All anew, all exciting. I like hearing it. I like hearing how much God loved me, that he sent his only son to die in my place. And by his grace, if I have faith in that, I can spend eternity in heaven. Look, I just told you about it. And I got to hear it again myself. And it put a smile on my face. And it reminded me how good God was. And so it is all about them. But we do get to partake in this great same gospel as we share it. And that's what it's in for us. 
points of application that I want to go over kind of briefly here. There's two things we must embrace, and they're going to be real uncomfortable, kind of like hugging a cactus. All right. When we think about the landscape in which we live, when we think about growing together in grace and truth in our future, there's there's there's, there's probably more than two, but there's two I'm going to point out today that will be particularly pricky as we think about them. All right, the next word's a bad word. So you might want to cover your eyes. One of the worst words in church today, millennials. Now, for of all of you who are millennials, whether you claim it or not, please don't take offense at this. Millennial generation. Those born from 1980 to 2000, everyone who's 20 to 40 years old, the largest definable generation in American history, larger than the baby boomers. And because the baby boomers are on their way out and this large demographic is on its way in, all the world is clamoring for their attention and, and working on them. They are a changing, uh, the, the culture has changed with the arrival of this generation. Millennials, first of the thing, I've got a whole bunch of people mad right now, don't like to be called millennials because there's such a bad connotation around that word. And I want to challenge you as my church to use that word with love and respect. Because you know how we say it in church, right? You know, that younger generation, you know, we say millennial in church like Jews would have said Gentile in the first century. We say it like Jews would have said, you know those Samaritans. You know how those Samaritans are. That's how we say younger generation. Barry Whitworth, the, the director, I'm going to quote it right this time, Charlene. I'll, make, I'll give Barry credit. The director of the state convention says this, churches die when they fail to reach the next generations. And he, said, he, he meant it so much that he repeated it. Churches die when they fail to meet the next generations. And when I say that, I know what most of you are thinking. You know what we need? We need a good youth program and we need a good kids program. That's not the generations we've missed. We missed the millennials, 20 to 40 year olds. That generation is we, the one we need to meet. And then Gen Z, the one under that, that the, even millennials don't understand. We're, we're steadily reading and trying to understand this. This is those others. This is the Jews. This is the people we've got to understand and appreciate their point of view and get to know and respect them for who they are and not use their name in a way that makes them not want to claim. I just talked to one today. I don't claim that name. I, I, I don't identify with that because it's such it's got such bad connotations. These are the next people that will be carrying the church and they are ready to do it and they can do it. Some of the good things we, we talk, we see them all on their phone and, and they're disconnected. They're one of the most relational generations out there. They care about relations more than anything else. That's why they spend time on their phone because they want to relate to each other. And they don't just do it through electronics, although that is one of their main ways of talking. Millennial mindsets have some very positive things. Millennials want to change the world. They believe they can do it. They want their life to have an impact. That when they're no longer here, that their being here meant something. 
Apply that to a Christian perspective that they want to change the world for Christ and make their life mean something. They're willing to get out there and do whatever it takes. They don't want to sit in boardrooms and committees. They want to be changing the world. And we could harness that power and use it for good. By the way, as I pointed out to Randy, the very first church meeting that Sunday morning after the resurrection or or when actually when Jesus appeared in the upper room. You know how many people were in the upper room when Jesus first appeared to them? 120 and they changed the world you know how many we had in church last sunday 120 so we got the numbers to change the world jesus did it we can do it and we got a group of people if we'll harness their their desire to change the world we can change the world they're very relation they're relational driven and they have very high value on their family. They will not sacrifice. They will sacrifice a lot of other things before they sacrifice time with their family, their kids and their parents. And they respect older generations. They want mentors. I talked to our seniors on Thursday that millennials over 40 percent of millennials have a mentor in their life right now. And they all want one. If you're older than one, you can you can mentor one. They would like to have you come along. And so besides, yes, there's more lost millennials than there's ever been. There's more non-religious of millennials than there had ever been. And, and that gives us a right ground and a right place to go and pick fruit if we'll go after them and understand them. Or we can realize this and we can talk about this and we can stick our head in the sand. Right? And say, you know, that's just them. That's just how they are. You know, I, we can be proud too proud to say, well, you know, they use all those devices and I'm just not going to get one of them. And then we won't talk to them. Because that's how they talk. It'd be like saying, I'm going to move to Spain, but I'm not going to learn Spanish. Well, I can live there, but I won't talk to too many people. If I don't talk the way they talk, communicate with them the way they communicate. This is a church group, one that we use to try to guide us through this changing culture. Uh, Pro-church tools, that's what a millennial looks like. They're strange-looking creatures. I was, I was just at the state convention, and I could see all, all the millennial pastors are standing over there together. And I'm like, man, they look so hip and cool, but you, they, they are different. But Why? Here's this, this company's, the biggest communication shift in 50 years. It says, we are living through the single biggest change since the printing press. And it's just getting started. I want to give you a little bit of perspective of where we are in history as we talk about change. If you think back about 500 years ago, Gutenberg invented this thing called the printing press. And the first thing he started printing was Bibles. 70 years later... After he'd printed Bibles for 70 years and they started distributing it and people started reading the word of God for themselves. Can you imagine the, the God, you can imagine all the old people and all the people, you're reading a what? You got your own what? You're not supposed to be doing that. That stays in their priest. They'd never say, uh, this new thing had come, the printing press, and they had Bibles for themselves. And 70 years later, you know what happened? The Reformation. The Reformation was not built, uh, born so much out of a set of theses nailed to a church door as the invention of the printing press and now the Bible being presented in people and they started to read the Bible for themselves. And because of that, there was a Reformation. What's happened in our lifetime with the advent of social media and the internet and so forth is greater than the printing press. And I believe the church is probably on the cusp of another Reformation.
And we have to be willing to embrace that because there's this whole stream of information out there. We've started a, we started an outreach program just with Google, people making Google searches. I get letters every day of people asking spiritual questions uh, through Google because that's where they're looking for answers now. And we have to have a presence there if we're going to answer the questions of, of a generation that looks there for their answers. And so that's one thing that we have to embrace And do it with love and care and respect. The other thing we have to embrace that's going to be difficult is new technology. Thank you. Oh, here's my poster child. This is a screenshot from Peg Ion's Facebook account today. She took a selfie. Now, I'm going to tell you, if Peg Ion can figure out how to take a selfie on an iPhone and post it on Facebook, anybody in this church can figure out how to communicate with that kind of technology. It's just a matter if we want to talk with them that way or not. Peg was sick the other day, and she was saying how uh, she got home. You know, she's been sick, and I was talking with her the other day. She goes, yeah, I got four private... private messages i got three texts i got this all these notifications everybody wishing her well on electronic media it's just part of the way the world talks now and we just got to decide if they're worth talking to the other thing evangelism this is another bad word in church because it has so many different connotations out there. We don't like to say it, but it makes us feel uncomfortable. Because when we read evangelism, we think this, you know, go knock on the door and share a testimony and ask somebody if they'll sign a card. And, and we don't feel comfortable doing that. I want to make this really simple for you and give you an exercise you can do this week. Jody's going to start passing out. They're going to pass these out. Here comes. This is your sermon notes. If you remember nothing else I said today, remember this. This is an, a, an adaptation from the Engel scale. It's a, it's a step towards, uh, it helps people understand evangelism and how there's this time uh, before you come to Christ and this time after you go to Christ. The number 10, that red line up there is this, decision to surrender to Jesus. And that's, when we think about evangelism, all we think about is that step. Will you accept Christ? Will you accept Jesus? But what I want you to realize is that evangelism is a much bigger thing. And and there might be someone, you might talk to someone who's at that step, but you can evangelize people and be part of the evangelism process uh, uh, much before kind of the touchdown to that that number 10. For those of you who have it and those of you who will get it, you'll see from down at the bottom, Someone who has no awareness of God to someone who has an awareness of God. That moves them up one step. A lot of you can make this one real easy. From someone who has an awareness of God to contact with a Christian. If you'll be a Christian and you'll contact, you'll just talk to someone who just thinks there is a God. You've moved them one step. Maybe if you're moving on, moving from just contact with a Christian to an interest in Jesus. Or, or grasp the truth about Jesus and slowly what you can impact somebody's life for eternity before you get to 10. And so here's my challenge for you in the coming weeks. As you look at this, take this home. I got this for you. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it wherever you can see it. If you need more copies and you want more of them, we'll get you more of them. But I'd like for each of us to find someone that's a step below us and someone that's a step below above us.
Someone that we can help take one step forward where maybe it's just going to be going from investigating Jesus to grasping a truth about Jesus. And then find someone who can take you from gaining confidence in your decision to experiencing life change. And start to work growing together. And I'm going to make it easy for you to help people take steps this week. Here's your homework assignment. It's Thanksgiving. And we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving next Sunday. Many of you will be with family, friends, Christians, and maybe non-Christians over the next week. I'd like to have a card shower next week. A card shower for God. And so if you will take a thank you card this week, uh, make one, buy one, do whatever you want to, and spend some time this week writing out your thank yous to God, what you're thankful for. Maybe on Thursday when you're with some of your friends or some kids or, or some relatives or some acquaintances, you may say, hey, I'm making this card to God. You got something to thank him for? You've just made them aware that they're thankful, should be thankful to God. You just help them contact a Christian. You just help them have a real, a truth about Jesus that we should be thankful to God for all that we've had. You've helped them take a step. You've exposed them to a step on the evangelism scale just by doing that simple little thing. And maybe you'll get some people to write some other thank yous. And then next week we'll have a chance to maybe share some of those with God publicly as we've practiced Thanksgiving all week. So there we go. We got a good future. We can change the world. There's um, some obstacles ahead of us. There's some things that will challenge us. And it's going to be uncomfortable one time. But if we will hold hands and we'll follow Jesus steadfastly together, he will lead us. May he be praised.